0: Howdy everybody, CJ here, and welcome to a new but tiny dose of Dangerous History. So, I've been working on a bunch of things and dealing with a bunch of stuff in various meanings of that phrase, behind the scenes. And so, as a result, I haven't been putting out a ton of new DHP material lately, But I wanted to put together something on the shorter end without a huge amount of research and preparation, but something that's been kind of rattling around in my head for quite a while, for at least a few years in various forms, and that is something I don't think I've really done a whole lot of over the course of the DHP's existence, which is now almost nine years and that is alternative or alternate or counterfactual history. What if you change one variable? Can you argue convincingly in favor of a kind of butterfly effect, a series of ripples that would drastically alter the course of history? And as most of you probably know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that one of my big projects for several years now has been my ongoing Woodrow Wilson series. And I've thought about various ways of how could you maybe change one variable and save the U S and the world from at least the worst of what Woodrow Wilson did in terms of damaging the world. And of course, most of the worst things that Woodrow Wilson did in terms of damaging the world have to do with his decision to get the U.S. into World War I, to intervene in World War I on the side of Britain and France, and then how he chose to handle that war, both in terms of domestic mobilization and all of the unprecedented taking over of the economy by the government And encroachments on civil liberties and all that stuff, but also in terms of how he handled the war itself, his actions towards Russia, which unwittingly kind of paved the way for the Bolsheviks to win over the provisional government in the aftermath of the Tsar's overthrow. And also, of course, the ways that Wilson handled the Versailles peace conference and the treaty that came out of it, which allowed The victorious allies to treat Germany so unfairly that it made World War II, in my opinion, and the opinion of many other people with fancier credentials than me, it made World War II virtually inevitable and thus, in turn, led to the Cold War and, you know, a whole bunch of other bad things. So this episode is going to be kind of a butterfly effect idea of alternate history. Can you change one variable and save America and the world, at least from the worst aspects of what we got with Woodrow Wilson as president? And I'm calling this a DHP microdose, meaning I'm going to try to get it under a half hour. So I've done fun size DHP before. I've done a few of those and I'm sure I'll probably do more in the future. And fun size DHP in my mind is somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes. And so what I'm here calling a DHP microdose in my mind is a DHP episode that is under a half hour. That's even shorter than a fun size DHP episode. So anyway, the counterfactual that I'm going to sketch out here is one that's been rattling around in my head probably at least since I did the Woodrow Wilson episode on the 1912 election, which was a while back. And off the top of my head, I'm recording this with very little in the way of notes or preparation. And off the top of my head, I don't remember what DHP episode number or Woodrow Wilson part the one on the 1912 election was. I'll try to remember to link to it in the show notes for this episode later in post-production. So basically, what I'm looking at is, out of the guys who in 1912 had a realistic shot at potentially winning the presidency, what's the minimum amount of alteration I could do to what really happened in the real historic timeline that would cause somebody else, rather than Woodrow Wilson, to be elected president in 1912 and thus somebody else to be president when World War I happened and how to make sure that that's somebody else who, again, in my mind, would need to be a plausible candidate that potentially could have won and also one that I could get into the White House with minimal alterations to what actually happened in history. And then the last criteria that I'm looking for here is somebody that I believe I could trust to be solid on the question of the U.S. intervening in World War I and to be solid in the negative. Somebody who I believe would have stood his ground against America intervening in World War I, come hell or high water. So, out of the candidates for president, In 1912, the one that I think is the most trustworthy to have kept the U.S. out of World War I had he been president is the Socialist Party candidate Eugene Debs. Eugene Debs gave a radical anti-war speech in 1917 that he knew would land him in federal prison and did. That's how committed he was to opposing American involvement in World War I. He was willing to commit civil disobedience, including getting himself locked in the federal penitentiary, just to speak out against that war. And for that reason, I believe Debs would have, had he been the president when the war happened, would have stood his ground no matter what to keep the U.S. out of it. But of course, Eugene Debs was the Socialist Party's candidate. And realistically, there's no relatively modest variable that you could change in 1912 that makes the likelihood of the Socialist Party candidate winning the presidency anything more than still a ridiculous long shot. So it's a no to Debs. And then on the Republican side, of course, you had the two front runners, Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft, of course, Taff ultimately retained the nomination for, to run for a second term as president. And then TR, of course, bolted the Republican party when he lost the nomination and went and ran on the Progressive Party ticket for president. Now, TR, of course, is a no-no. Cause TR, for my criteria, because TR is even more of a war hawk than Wilson. If anything, he would have gotten the U.S. into World War I much earlier, even than Wilson did. And, probably would have been at least as bad if not worse than Wilson when it comes to the domestic uh, civil liberties and economic liberties you know violations that Wilson did if anything TR would have been worse i believe in that regard would have had america even earlier involved in the war probably even more heavily involved probably you know a lot more americans would have been killed And he would have been even more enthusiastic than Wilson, who was at least somewhat reluctant and hesitant to inflict a punitive peace treaty on Germany. So, in my opinion, Teddy Roosevelt would be a much worse guy to have in the White House, even than Wilson, as bad as Wilson was, during World War I. Now, William Howard Taft, by comparison to both Wilson and T.R., is, in my opinion, preferable. He is, in relative terms, less bad on almost every issue than T.R. or Wilson. And at least initially, prior to America's entry into the war in the spring of 1917, Taft was, my understanding is, and I haven't researched this in huge detail, but from what I do know, I would say that Taft was reluctant For America to intervene was generally opposed to it prior to 1917, but my understanding is that by the time you get to the spring of 1917, Taft is maybe somewhat reluctantly, but is dragged along. And ultimately, when the U.S. does intervene in the war, Taft does support the war effort. Which to me means that while Taft maybe had some good instincts about wanting to stay out of the war, at least initially. He wasn't solid enough on the issue to where I would totally trust him to stand his ground, you know, throughout the entire duration of the European War and be willing to just stay out of it no matter what. Taft seems just wobbly enough that he might have been rolled against his better instincts into eventually getting into the war. And maybe he wouldn't have conducted it with as much negative aspects to it as Wilson in terms of the domestic crisis and Leviathan stuff. Maybe he would have handled the end of the war a bit better than Wilson did. But, you know, I'm trying to find a better alternative than that. So Debs is solid on the war, but really there's no realistic scenario in which he has a snowball's chance in hell of winning the White House in 1912. Wilson, obviously, is the guy we're trying to figure out a way to avoid. Teddy Roosevelt's even worse than Wilson on World War I, and Taft is, you know, better, but not totally solid and trustworthy. But there is one major party contender for the presidency in 1912 who very plausibly could have won, if you just change one variable, and who was very solid on staying out of the war. And who stuck to his guns on that stance even once the U.S. got into the war and paid a political price for it? And that guy is James Beauchamp Clark of Missouri, generally referred to as Champ Clark. Champ Clark was a Democratic Party congressman from Missouri who was Speaker of the House from 1911 until 1919. So, from shortly before Wilson was elected president. Until near the end of his presidency, for nearly a decade, Champ Clark was Speaker of the House. And Champ Clark was a so-called populist Democrat, rather than a progressive one. And for the sake of time, to keep this a microdose, I'm not going to go into populism versus progressivism here. I've done it in a few different previous episodes of the DHP, but... In my opinion, if you're somebody who is kind of libertarian-ish of some sort and generally anti-war, anti-intervention in foreign policy, the populists, while certainly not, you know, doctrinaire Rothbardians, are in relative terms preferable on most issues to the progressives, particularly on foreign policy. And Champ Clark was a pretty staunch anti-interventionist and was against America getting involved in World War I. Now, we still might have gotten some of the bad domestic programs of Woodrow Wilson under a President Clark. But I don't believe the US would have gotten into World War I. And even some of the things we might have gotten under Clark that we got under Wilson in real life, I think that the Clark version might have been a bit less bad, at least. So, for example, as a populist, Clark would have supported some version of a federal income tax. Maybe would have differed with Woodrow Wilson on some of the details of it, but in general was in agreement with Wilson there. So not a giant difference. I don't know a ton about Clark, to be honest with you. There's not, um, I think there's like a memoir that he wrote that's out there that exists, but I haven't read it. And other than that, I don't know if there are any like just biographies of him or whatever. I've never seen such a thing. But He did oppose the Federal Reserve Act because he thought it was too favorable to the big New York banks. So my understanding is that like most populists, he would have supported some sort of a national bank type institution being created, but at least he would have tried to get it structured so that like J.P. Morgan and the Warburgs and Brown Brothers and those sorts of characters you know, and Kuhn Loeb and company wouldn't have controlled it, at least initially, right off the bat. Now, you know, probably those sorts of people, no matter what kind of central bank you create, probably eventually they're going to regulatory uh, capture it. Right. But a central bank created by Champ Clark would have probably been at least marginally better in some ways to what we got in reality under Wilson. But again, Champ Clark was very solid on wanting to stay out of World War I. And in my mind, that is by far the most important issue of the time period when I'm looking at politics. And, you know, I could tolerate an income tax and maybe a slightly marginally better central bank and some other things where the progressives and populists overlapped. If you have the US staying out of World War I, like that's a price I'd be willing to pay. Because the US getting involved in World War I has so many negative ripple effects down through world history to this day that I'd be willing to kind of trade a lot of other issues to get that one where I think it should be, which is stay the hell out. And I will tell you a scenario in which if you just change one seemingly modest variable in the true history of 1912 you change one thing champ clark almost certainly becomes president instead of woodrow wilson and the u.s then almost certainly stays out of world war one and that one variable is an internal party rule of the democratic party at the time and that's this at the time the democratic party had what's known as the two-thirds rule which meant That in order to get the Democratic Party's nomination for president during that era, a candidate had to win not just a simple majority of available delegates at the party's convention, he had to win a two-thirds supermajority. Now, at the time, the Republicans had no such rule. The Republicans just, you know, first person to get a clear majority at the convention gets the nomination. Now, the argument that was often given in favor of the Democratic Party having the two-thirds rule was that it ensured that the party's nominee was, you know, had a very unified party behind him. But in reality, what it often meant was that the establishment could maneuver a candidate they favored that was sort of like a dark horse compromise candidate could maneuver such a person onto the nomination instead of a person that the establishment didn't like who maybe was able to get a simple majority of delegates but was not able to get the two-thirds because enough of the kind of establishment types of the era wouldn't support a non-establishment approved candidate. So, if you just change one variable, Just get rid of the Democratic Party's two-thirds rule in 1912, and guess what happens? Well, if you get rid of the two-thirds rule and only require a simple majority for the Democratic nomination, then Champ Clark gets it. Champ Clark was ahead of Wilson on a bunch of the first ballots, and in fact on the ninth ballot at the convention. Champ Clark won a majority of the delegates. Had the two thirds rule not existed, he would have then been the nominee. And he probably would have won the presidency because the Republican vote was split that year between TR and Taft. So odds are probably whoever the Democrats nominated has better than 50% odds of winning the election just in general. So get rid of the two thirds rule. Clark gets the nomination on the ninth ballot, he's the Democrats' candidate for president in 1912, he gets elected, he keeps America out of World War I, and at least the worst aspects of Woodrow Wilson we are saved from. Instead, what happened in practice was, since Clark didn't get two-thirds, they just kept, you know, holding more and more ballots, and eventually some of the Tammany Hall-type Democrats began to back Champ Clark, and that actually ended up being the kiss of death for him. Because once that happened, then William Jennings Bryan, who had been neutral up until that point in the convention, decided to throw his support behind Woodrow Wilson. And Bryan, you know, was a populist Democrat. His natural inclination probably would have been more toward Champ Clark, but he kind of felt like Clark was betraying populism a little bit by, you know, getting the support of the more kind of conservative, anti-reform type of Democrats. And so when Clark got the support of Tammany Hall, Bryan jumped off the neutral fence, backed Wilson, and that ultimately got Wilson, who up until that point had been pretty much, I think, beaten by Clark on every ballot. But Wilson started to gain steam after the William Jennings Bryan endorsement. And so on the 30th ballot, Wilson would pull ahead of Clark in delegates for the first time, still not at two-thirds, but then on the 46th ballot, Wilson would exceed two-thirds of the delegate votes, and that would get him the nomination, and the rest, of course, is history. So there's a clear example of an alternate history butterfly effect that to me is very plausible. Change one thing. No two-thirds rule for the Democrats nomination. Champ Clark gets the nomination fairly early in the convention. Champ Clark probably wins the presidency. Champ Clark, all the evidence is, keeps America out of World War I. The world is saved from at least the worst aspects of Woodrow Wilson's horrific legacy. So, I hope you found this interesting. It's something a little different. It's, um, you know, obviously one of the shortest, if not the shortest DHP episodes I've ever done. And so, if you like this sort of shorter episode without as much prep and research and all that put into it, and or if you like this idea of running through an alternate history scenario, and this idea of, you know, trying to save the world via a butterfly effect by changing one variable in the historical story, let me know. I'd be open to potentially doing uh, some more episodes like this down the road, but for now, oh, I got a lot of stuff to get back to work on. And I've also been under the weather a bit lately. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or not on the recording, but yeah, I've been battling a annoying little cold for the past several days in addition to everything else that I'm dealing with. So anyway, I hope you appreciate this concise little episode. And as always, I hope you'll consider becoming a supporter of my work on the Dangerous History Podcast if you're not already a supporter. And if you are a supporter, I hope you'll consider increasing your level of contribution in order to get more bonuses and perks and benefits. Among other things, we've been having some really good discussions with the book club lately. And for 50 bucks a month on either Patreon or Subscribestar, you'll get a whole bunch of perks and bonuses of the lower levels of support, but you'll also get access to the DHP book club which usually meets monthly. Every now and then I'll take a month off so that we can read kind of a longer or denser book than usual. And, you know, everybody, including myself, still has time to really, you know, read it properly. But most of the time it's every month, and we typically alternate between fiction and nonfiction books from month to month. We've read books in the past by such diverse authors as Mike Resnick, F. Paul Wilson on the fiction side, to James C. Scott and The Baron de Montesquieu on the other side, in addition to a bunch of other books we've read so far. And we're taking June off, partly because near the end of the month I'm going to be dealing with moving my oldest kid into college, but also because the next book we're going to read is a fairly large and dense one that I'm definitely going to need a little extra time to get through, and probably some other DHP Book Club members will as well, and that is the book JFK in the Unspeakable. Why He Died and Why It Mattered by James Douglas. That's the next book we're going to be reading. We're going to be reading it to discuss near the end of July. So from this recording, you've got, you know, almost two months to read it. It's a fairly big book with a lot of stuff in it. But anyway, if you'd like to be a part of that discussion, we've been having some really great discussions with the book club. And, you know, we have a fairly modest number of people who participated in it. But it could be even better if we had, you know, more people participating. So if you'd like to participate in monthly and occasionally bimonthly book club discussions on interesting books like this with me and some other awesome individuals who are, you know, great supporters and friends of the show, please consider becoming a supporter at the $50 a month level. And even though we won't be discussing JFK and the Unspeakable until near the end of July, why not go ahead and sign up now while you're remembering and thinking about it to that level of support so that you can watch some of the old recordings of previous book club discussions and also be eligible to be a part of the next one talking about JFK and the Unspeakable. As always, thank you for listening, and I wish you all the best, and I hope to talk to you again soon.